Will you turn with me please to the passage which we read earlier in Acts chapter 2. There are many, many things that we could take up from this long chapter. I'd just like to focus on a few things, a few thoughts around what we have in verses 40 to 42 tonight. And what happened in the wake of of, of Pentecost seems very fundamental in relation to what a Christian is and in relation to what a church should be. And it's good to challenge ourselves as to what our church should be and what you should be as a Christian or if you are not a Christian tonight, why you should be a Christian. And there is, uh, there is urgency and warrant for you to come immediately to Christ for salvation. This is what was put to the people here in, in the aftermath of Peter's great sermon. Now when they heard, verse 37, heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Perhaps the initial question when we raise uh, matters relating to, to the, what happens in the aftermath of Pentecost is for a church, for, for a believing person, for a Christian, to ask the question, are we a good example of what it is to be a Christian, of what it is to be a Christian church? The question is, what makes a church lively and vital? Consider what happened at Pentecost as a result of Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2 here. It raises questions. What are the marks of a Christian? What are the marks of a true church? How important is preaching? What response should there be to preaching? Do we think in terms of coming into the house of the Lord every Lord's Day with the intention of being responsive to what is heard, however articulately it may be presented to us for that matter. But nevertheless, do we expect to make a response to what we hear? This is a vital thing. Well, see the response to Peter's preaching. Thousands heard him. Three thousand Received, gladly received the word and were added to the church. That means that there were more than that present. Thousands and thousands of people were hearing. He must have had quite a voice at Peter, a strong voice in these days. The Spirit was present in power. That made the difference. A sermon will fall to the ground if the Spirit is withheld. But we believe that where there is the faithful preaching of the word, as there was there in Pentecost, the Spirit will be present to bless it. 
And there will be the expectation of those who are Christians that the Spirit will be present. And there will surely be the anticipation of the work of the Holy Spirit in our own hearts. Well, the people listened seriously and responded to the word. Put yourself in their position. What do we need as a church and as, a, as congregations? What do we need as church and congregations? This is a, a discussion going on in relation to whatever we define as decline. Well, we might say faithful preaching, response to faithful preaching, seriousness about preaching, seriousness about Christ and his word. And we need the Holy Spirit of God that we might be a church, a congregation, that you might be a Christian, if so be you are a saved person, that you might be a, 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 a Christian who is, who is uh, serious about Christ and his word. We need the Holy Spirit for this. Showing the marks, so that we may show the marks of belonging to Christ the marks of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. The marks indeed uh, that were produced by this sermon of Peter's on the day of Pentecost. Remember that the Spirit was given to the church and the Spirit is in the church. The Spirit is not withdrawn from the church. And we may say it's just a prayer away. So what response did Peter exhort? Repentance for sin? He exhorted saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? It's summed up in verses 37 and 38 in some ways. When he, they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, convicted of sin, said to Peter and to the rest of the brethren, what shall we do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you. Baptized being the sign of confession of faith. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And with many other sayings, other words, did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Well, there's a call for today. We are in an untoward generation as well, from which we need to be saved. And that is true of every generation, because we're in a fallen world with, and are fallen creatures. Well, these are the most important things in your life or for anyone in this world. If you have any hope of going to heaven at last, these are the important things. The issues are essentially the same for every age. Consider the response in the day of Pentecost. What sort of church do we see emerging at Pentecost? And ask yourself, is that me? Is that us? Are we filled with that vitality? Are we filled with that vision? Are we filled with liveliness for Christ? So there are several things I'd like to, I'd like to suggest that should characterize us. The first is, the church should be alive. The Christian, we, should be alive. Whoever professes faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, whoever has been born again, should be alive. They that gladly received the word the same day there were added unto them about three thousand so then they that gladly received his word. Three thousand were added. Well this was church growth. 
We see congregations dwindling. We also see moral standards declining. The two are related. Most people, if they thought of it, would realise the connection. Do we want better moral standards? Yes, you say. Do you want spiritual life? Do you want something more than the world offers? We may say that churches have declined or have compromised the word of God and that certainly is true. That is certainly true. But churches are people. And many years ago, a president of the United States said, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. We may say the same about the church. The church's people. Are you contributing to decline or to its life? That's the question. The question is, what sort of people? What sort of people should comprise the church of the living God? People full of life. Spiritual life. People concerned about the progress and advance of Christ's cause in the world. People of prayer. Constant prayer. People concerned to support faithful ministry and be responsive to faithful ministry. People concerned to witness faithfully concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And we these sort of people. Maybe the trappings of the lives of these people on the day of Pentecost are less sophisticated than ours, as we would say this is a modern conceit, of course. But really, they were people just like us. But consider this. They hear the call, repent. They hear the call, be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Confess the Lord Jesus Christ. How often do you hear that the message should be toned down? May it never be true from our pulpits that the message is toned down. That sin and hell are not what people want to hear. And you will have to present a message to the people which is more acceptable to them. I remember hearing in the free church context about, about um, oh, 30, 35 years ago, something like that, of a man who went to a con one of our con free church congregations in those days in Edinburgh, and he preached on the doctrine of hell. And I heard somebody saying, that's not the sort of message we need to hear here. That's not a good sign. Was Peter muted? Did he give the crowd what they wanted to hear? Did he say, it doesn't matter what you did with Jesus. He forgives you and he won't send enemy to hell in any case. Not a bit of it. Because the currency is truth. Truth. Now we are in a loose, superficial age. A superficial generation which thinks very little of moral or spiritual or eternal issues. And we need to waken up. We must delude ourselves. We must simply have confidence in the message that God has given us that saves for eternity. 
for eternity. A straight message. You must repent of your sins or you will go to hell. You must come to Christ or you will go to hell. You must believe. You must follow. You must follow. You must keep his word. You must receive his word. You must see your sin for what it is. You must reckon on a dawning eternity, a judge to face whom you have offended. That's what sinners require to hear. 3,000. When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said, What shall we do? What shall we do? We rejoice if one, one begins to take seriously the word and comes professing repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course we do. We don't despise that. We are not to despise the day of small things. But what do we need for that to happen? Well, we need the Spirit of God, of course, to work. We need to pray for the Spirit of God to come down. And in your own life and in your own heart, pray for the Holy Spirit to work in your life, to instruct and to empower and to enable you, to enable you in your witness, to enable you in giving you something that we are all in many ways lacking these days, courage, confidence and courage. We become muted. Are you walking in the Spirit? Are you an example? Are you an example, dear friend, for this generation? Are you an example of one who takes the word seriously? And like Peter and the Apostles is concerned about people's souls and where they stand in relation to the Lord Jesus Christ, the only Saviour for anyone in this world. Whatever their religious affiliation may be, it has to be said. But do we have to confess rather that by our lacklustre lives we're an encouragement to believers to hold to their way because, because, after all, they see nothing in us to attract them. A little of real spiritual or Christian life represented before them. I dare say we'll not grow if we're not bright lights of people who are alive in relation to Christ and his word. Desiring the Spirit to move amongst us and amongst all the young people around us. Well, the church should be alive, and the church is as alive as the people who comprise it are alive. But the church should be continuing as well. We have this in verse 42. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Now, of course, we long to see the church growing and alive, growing numerically and alive spiritually. But how will this happen? Well, when the Spirit comes in power in response to the cries of the church to their Lord, 
when the message is right and faithful and clear, pleading to sinners to repent and turn to the Lord and openly profess faith, openly profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, when the professing people of God are full of fire and not cluttered with worldliness and half-heartedness, which is true of all of us, I think, speaking for myself, and when they are full of the Spirit, my dear friends, God is great, Christ is King, And all these chairs may be occupied and twice as many should he move and should we be what we should be. But are we taking these things seriously, of course? That is the question. If not, how do we expect anything to happen? What vision do we have for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ? Numerical growth, of course, is one thing. There's also the question of another type of growth, spiritual growth, growth in piety and in love to the Lord Jesus Christ and zeal for him. It was noted of Jesus that zeal for his house had eaten him up when he, when he, when he took a, a whip of cords to, to drive out the animals and others who were selling and making his, uh, his temple something that was just just a, a secular selling place. So what is the nature and purpose of the church? Gathering together weekly, that of course, even though that basic thing is perhaps too hard for some. Then preaching the word, that too certainly we still have that. It may always be true in our pulpits. And may it become true of every single pulpit in our land. But then there's making disciples as well. What do you expect disciples to do? Well, here we have it. What do you expect disciples to do? There are two words here. Continuing steadfastly. This is where it is. The rubber hits the road. Continuing steadfastly. They continued steadfastly. What did they continue steadfastly? Continue. Well, let's think of these words for the moment. Continued. You take up a book and you read it. Right through. That is continuing. You enter a marathon race, 26 miles, 385 yards, and you come right to the end. That is continuing. It requires continuance. You take on a job of work and you don't let up on it until it's finished. That is an example of continuing. No flagging, no lapsing. And then there's steadfastly. Steadfastly is a description of the quality of this continuing you may continue in something you're much interested in, in which case it might be shoddily done or half-heartedly done. But no, these disciples, they were to continue steadfastly, steadfastly. That is, they were to be solid and dependable. And this is something we have to face in the church. If advances are not made, then we will wither on the vine. Now you see someone continuing steadfastly, in something, what do you assume? Well, you assume that, that that person's heart is in it. When they continue doing something doggedly, right to the finish of it, you, you, you assume their heart is, is in it. What is close to your heart, my dear friends? What is close to mine? What is close to our hearts? Is it the gospel? Is it Christ? Whatever else there may be that are our responsibilities in this world. 
Is it the church and its worship? Is that close to your heart? Prayer, the life of the a life of prayer. There's a story told of a man. He lapsed a bit in, atten- in attentiveness to the to the church. He was a professing man. He, he 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 lapsed in attentiveness to the church. And uh, there he was in his house. His pastor visited him. The man was sitting in the sitting in the chair in front of a, a, a fire, coal fire, flaming up, burning hot. And of course, this man who had lapsed, he thought to himself, oh, the pastor's come here to teach me, to tell me the riot act. He's, he's, coming, to, he's coming to give me a lecture. But no, there was this blazing fire, and the pastor took the tongs, and he, and he took a, a lump of burning, red-hot coal out of the fire, put it on the hearth, it on the hearth and he says look at it he says and well the man looked at it it was red hot at first but very soon just a bit of smoke in it and not long before he could pick it up it was cool enough to hand be handled completely cool how often those who were once so eager and attentive and so concerned for souls and diligent in the word and prayer become cool and it happens when real fellowship declines. The fire blazes when the coal is on it, but if some falls off or is taken off, it soon cools. So it is when Christians become isolated from or live without Christian fellowship. (coughs) Incidentally, it makes it all the more important to take care of those who are ill and infirm and aged who may not indeed be fit enough to attend the means of grace. But there's a serious weakness in a church when there are services or fellowship available and able Christians do not feel, I must be there. Has the world gripped us? Or are we giving a good lead in what a spiritual man or woman should be? These are the questions. The Holy Spirit is the same, my dear friends. The means are the same. Christ is the same. The same yesterday, today and forever. The ordinances are the same. But are we half asleep? That is a question. Or really continuing steadfastly there's a mark disciples greatly received they're glad to receive the word they continued steadfastly steadfastly the question is what did they continue steadfastly in well we have it there in verse 42 I'd just like to look at these with you What, do they, what does the disciple continue steadfastly in? Today, just as much as then in Pentecost. You are to continue steadfastly in doctrine. Doctrine. What doctrine? Christ's doctrine, Apostles' doctrine, Bible doctrine. The Word of God. This means having an appetite for faithful preaching, an appetite 
for the reading and study of the Word of God and the doctrine of the Word of God. But people groan and they say, oh, doctrine. They say, I'm not much interested in doctrine. That's a wee bit boring, perhaps. Doctrine means teaching. Now, you take your children, you expect your children to take in what they're taught. We want them to have rules for life, our children. The Apostles' Doctrine is simply the teaching of Christ, or indeed all Scripture, which is given by inspiration of God. And if we would know Christ and be taught of him, then we must give ourselves to the teaching of the Bible and know our doctrine. Study it, know it steadfastly, continue in it, the doctrine of God, the doctrine of Christ, the doctrine of creation, providence, the decrees of God, salvation, atonement, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, judgment, heaven and hell, the commandments and their implications. These are to be known, to be continued steadfastly in. No lapsing from it. We're not to be lazy about doctrine, not to be lazy about it. There are helps, of course, the catechisms, for example, which we should all have and study besides the Bible, read, learn. Otherwise, we will not be taught of God. Know the doctrine. Know the doctrine and continue steadfastly in it. But you're to continue steadfastly also in fellowship. We read here, and fellowship, doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread. Here's a truth. Spiritual growth in a church, I mean the growth in piety and understanding of the word, the stimuli to faith and good works, this will be this will be encouraged and will relate to fellowship. Fellowship is not just speaking about anything with others in the church. It is engaging, engaging in what relates to our souls and relates to the word of God and Christ and salvation. It is taking seriously his word. So when we say speak of fellowship, we don't just mean formal fellowships which can become a monologue, but opening our homes and giving hospitality and visiting others, meeting among ourselves to encourage spiritual life and encouragement of the scriptures and to help one another with issues that may be faced, daily issues that may be faced. There must be the giving of hospitality, the visiting of others, which is hospitality, meeting among ourselves, discussing, talking, asking questions, and interacting. This is at the heart of a living Christian and a living church, this is what we see here, continuing steadfastly. Doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, which we take to be in this context, the Lord's Supper, as distinct from verse 46, which we take to be fellowship meals, breaking bread from house to house, the same sort of term, but a different context, we would suggest. Do we need a revolution here? Have we just formalised church attendance and forgotten the fact that there needs to be fellowship among the people of God, 
that is the way of unity in a congregation as well, as well as a stimulus to devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. But then you're to continue steadfastly as well in this, and in prayers, and in prayers. Oh yes, continuing steadfastly in prayers. How well is this happening with us? <coughs> Have we lost confidence in going to the Lord in prayer with everything to the Lord in prayer? How are our prayer meetings? Are they flourishing or are they failing? And what is happening in our own personal lives, our private lives, in relation to prayer? At any rate, it's a challenge. For this is basic. What we have in verse 42 is basic in the life of a Christian, the life of a disciple. And not least, continuing steadfastly in prayers. Prayers. Prayers for awakenings, for the Spirit to move in us and through us. For benefit to be gained from the services of worship and the preaching of the word and the reading of the word and the fellowshipping with the saints. Here is something in which also the elderly can be fruitful because the elderly might say, oh, I'm so, I, I, my, my life has gone. I'm so old. What can I do? What can I do? I'm not mobile anymore. What can I do? Well, you can be fruitful in old age through continuing steadfastly in prayer. So there's much to ponder in these verses. Those who gladly received the word, 3,000 souls, gladly received the word, gladly. How gladly do you receive the word week by week? <clears throat> whatever you do in this world, whatever you do in this world, let this be true of you, that you gladly receive the word, gladly read it, gladly hear it, gladly share it. Take it into your heart and life and mind. Live it out in your life. All this, of course, as its context, has as its context public and social situation. This is so important because it is the public and social situation that shows and openly demonstrates the presence of Christianity in a community. Of course, things must be right at home. Things must be right in our own lives, our personal life, our private life, if you like. That indeed is the real strength of the Christian, the real strength of the church. People in their personal lives being alive to Christ and for Christ. And it is nothing less than a sham if the public face of the church languishes, as it has done so widely, sadly, in our generation in Scotland, which has declined so much. But there is a way back. There is a way back. We must return and recover exactly what we have here 
They that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them 3,000 souls. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. That should be, my dear friends, I suggest to you, our all-consuming concern and indeed passion if we are to reflect in ourselves and in our congregations faithfully the truth as it is in Jesus and the priority of the gospel in the life of this world. May the Lord bless these thoughts upon his word. Let us pray. Our gracious Lord, we are thankful to thee for Christ. We are thankful that he is building his church. Lord our God, we pray that he would send the Spirit amongst us and grant that there may be encouragements in our churches in seeing many added to the Lord and thy saints continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers. Help us in this, Lord, help us. Help us in this day, this day of declension, this day which is pleased that we should that thou art pleased that we should live through. O Lord our God, grant that we may be responsive to thee and live as those who are strangers and pilgrims in this earth and who are looking for a city whose maker and builder is God. And Lord, that we may indeed be be enabled to 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 invite others on the same way to heaven. Gracious Lord, be merciful to us. Forgive us all our sin. Receive us graciously and love us freely. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <coughs>
May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen. Amen.